This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to Reporters Without Orders. Order, order. Hello and welcome to Reporters Without Orders, a podcast where we talk about what made news, what didn't and some things that absolutely shouldn't have. I'm your host Snigdha and joining us today are News Laundry's uh, Nidhi Suresh and the Hindu's UP correspondent, Uttar Pradesh correspondent and uh, fellow Darjilinge, Omar Rashid. Hey, both Hi of there. you. Good morning. <laughs> Hi, Snigdha. Hi, Good Omar. morning. Hi, everyone. How's it going, guys? Uh, Nidhi, you go first. <laughs> it's just too cold for me. I, I, I don't like it. Winter's not my thing. Um, Nidhi, how long have you been uh, in Delhi? I've been in Delhi for a year, but I've been in winters for a while and my like South Indian body still doesn't adjust to it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Omar, how's it going in uh, Lucknow? It's, it's not cold enough. Uh-huh. It's the opposite for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I would prefer it to go a few uh, Celsius below what I am uh, experiencing right now, but it's fine, I think. Go to Delhi, no then. Uh, not much of a difference. <laughs> All right. But when we traveled to Muradabad, it was really cold. Hmm. It was much colder than Delhi. Yeah, usually, like when as you move out of the city, it gets um, colder, right? I mean, that's what I've experienced. Um, yeah, especially in the rural areas, uh, less hmm. pollution, more greenery, and more exactly. uh, space. That's right. true. So uh, let me tell you, uh, listen. No, uh, Omar actually has been on Reporters uh, before, I think it was last year, if I'm not wrong. Um, he has yes. been working for the Hindu for a while now, and he's been reporting from Uttar Pradesh for about seven to eight years. So, yeah, now I I, I think uh, you uh, you cannot be called Darjilinge anymore, Omar. You've been away for too yeah. long. Unfortunately. <laughs> Lots of things happening in... Uh, are Darjeeling also, but we can talk about it some other time. Of course. All right. So, uh, listeners, before we begin, I want to tell all the new listeners about News Laundry. We are a 100% ad-free news platform, and we need your support to stay afloat. So, please do subscribe to us and pay to keep news free. You can go to our website, newslaundry.com, and click on the subscribe button on the top right corner of the website. If you're listening to our podcast on any other platform like Stitcher, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, you can also find it on the News Laundry website, which is newslaundry.com. We now have a special podcast player where you can download, forward, and rewind to your favorite bits. Uh, But apart from podcasts, we have a lot of ground reports. We don't just do media criticism. We are also the media. So please do check our website out. Yes. All right. So guys, let's start with some bizarre news stories. Who wants to go first? Omar, since you're our guest today. <laughs> Bizarre news. See, the fact that I live in Uttar Pradesh and uh, almost everything here is pretty bizarre. <laughs> and uh, the fact that we are here discussing a law of this kind in this era, I think that itself is bizarre for that me. That is true. And that for everyone true. else, I think. Yeah. So I, I don't have anything specific to add, but yeah, that's all. All right. Okay. Uh, Nidhi, what about you? I mean, we, like Omar said, we have an array of choices to choose between what's yeah. bizarre and not. But I think this week for me, that's something that's been particularly bizarre is the fact that uh, CBI came out after two months of investigating the Hathras um, mm. rape and murder case saying that she was, after all, raped. Yeah. Um, and while it's some sort of sigh of relief, it's also completely bizarre because the girl herself has said in four dying declarations yeah. Uh, yeah. what has happened to her. We refused 
to believe her in uh, life or death and uh, we want now want to believe the cbi which is which is good i guess but uh, it's it's really sad and obviously completely bizarre that's true i mean uh, this uh, comes up every time we uh, you know do the bizarre news uh, section on this podcast i mean over uh, recently this has started happening that you know everything is so bizarre like all the actual discussions that we are having in the in the podcast i mean all of them are so strange that uh, you know sometimes i feel like I, we should just get rid of this section but uh, anyway uh, my bizarre uh, news story this time is uh, republic bharat has been fined 20000 pounds uh, by this uh, uk office of communications for broadcasting offensive language hate speech and uh, and for derogatory treatment of uh, individuals groups uh, religions and communities so i think this show was uh, called puchta hai bharat which is hosted by Mr Arnab Goswami and i think he was um, uh talking about pakistani in pakistan and uh, its citizens and he said something really bad so yeah um that is quite bizarre that you know this uh, while in india he gets away with so much uh, you know this body from another country is actually holding him accountable uh but yeah let's see that is uh my story for the week all right uh now coming to our topic of discussion this week it is love jihad in uttar pradesh and the state's new anti conversion law now uh, from being this you know conspiracy theory to an actual law like amar said that is dictating the lives of people uh you know love jihad this whole idea of love jihad has you know i, I feel like it's found itself perfectly conducive conditions you know to thrive in our country's political climate and how that has happened we'll get into that um but before that let us understand what love jihad really means omar if you can enlighten us yeah so uh, basically it's it's a political lie created by the right wing to uh, criminalize behavior of uh, muslim men when muslim men when it comes to their interaction with hindu women Mm. so that is the basic uh, uh you could say the aim uh, mm. the goal of the law although the law doesn't actually have this phrase and this limiting uh, context to it mm. it's called the unlawful conversion you know prohibition of unlawful conversion ordinance but the uh, implicit meaning the uh, uh, political meaning behind it is to curtail uh, muslim men from interacting with hindu women okay. that is a single basic uh, goal so mm-hmm. love jihad uh, it taps into that uh, the social conservative uh, practices that you know uh, interfaith marriages are not really cool uh, intercaste like uh, uh, in a country where intercaste marriages are still not acceptable interfaith is still a big mm. exception and uh, pretty outrageous in the rural areas where most of these cases have come from mm-hmm. so it taps into that uh, that conservative belief and the social tension and it's potential to uh, polarize communities on the basis mm. of religion and create that tension and keep the tension up so right. i think that is what love jihad actually stands for right if i'm not wrong i think uh, in uh, uh, one of the parliament uh, sessions i think the opposition had actually uh, asked the government um, uh, about love jihad and the government itself had responded saying that there has been no information from the intelligence agencies 
in our country about any uh, you know instances of this whole love jihad what they call so in the parliament they're saying their answers something else but uh, when it comes to you know uh, passing a law i mean they basically made a law on something that they themselves have said is uh, not happening so yeah that also is quite strange yeah actually there's a there's a reason for that if i may continue uh, because the legal uh, the framework that they need to work under is different from the political narrative they can set so legally there is no mention of love jihad even in the ordinance and it doesn't pinpoint any religion or a man of any religion or a woman of any religion mm. it's very general it could include anybody yeah so while the ordinance is legally sound in uh, courts uh, uh, at least in this aspect mm. the political narrative and the messaging behind the ordinance is very clear that it's to right. curtail uh, muslim men so i think right. uh, they work together i mean although it's not legally recognized is socially recognized mm-hmm. can... yeah now uh, just to tell our listeners what the law is just a basic brief about the law uh, it was passed last month it was cleared by the up governor anandiben patel and uh, so far there have been at least i think more than 30 arrests uh, under it and it is called the uttar pradesh prohibition of unlawful conversion of religion ordinance of 2020 and it makes religious conversion for marriage if done through coercion or deceit a punishable offense now um, yesterday very strange yesterday i was doing daily dose and i got to know about this uh, these arrests that were made in azamgarh in up where uh, some people were arrested for allegedly trying to convert a family to christianity so and this was under this law so i was very surprised because i thought this law is only um, you know related to interfaith marriages but apparently under this law if a person needs to uh, supposedly if a person needs to convert to another religion they have to take permission and they'll have to submit a declaration within 2 months after the conversion and appear before the dm and the dm is supposedly supposed uh, uh, the dm is supposed to make a copy of their declaration and put it on a notice board outside his office so basically anybody can see it i didn't know about this uh, nidhi did you i did and actually i was just thinking of what omar was also saying and mm. i just feel like um, I mean, for the longest time, love jihad is not a new term. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been there for a while, and they've allowed it to marinate in society and like have as many people as possible use the term before they can somehow create a farce of yeah. constitutional validity. And I feel like till now, um, as reporters or as lawyers or people opposing the idea of love jihad have always dismissed it uh, or argued uh, on the fact that. there it does not have constitutional validity mm. and it was never a term written into law mm. and it's at this point that it never fails to really amaze me how this government works which is actually really intelligent to give the devil its due mm. because what they've essentially done with bringing in the ordinance is that they've made it seem like love jihad has constitutional backing yeah and if you dismissed it as not being a real thing now it socially is Right. but the fact remains that the slur as such has still not been defined and the question of what is love jihad is still a very real question legally mm-hmm. and constitutionally and and more importantly i think it's important to look at who is the most keenest in defining it which will actually expose why we even have the show <laughs> right. um and it has already been exposed but 
now what i feel like they've done is they've got their way without really allowing you to hold them accountable because if now you stand up and argue against love jihad they can ask you to define love jihad because they you're, you're not you're the one using it not them right they drafted a very loose and dangerously arbitrary arbitrary law which mm-hmm. really allows you to criminalize love between two communities while penalizing one community mm-hmm. and targeting one community so now all they have to do is literally sit back and wait for us reporters politicians and the am janta to carry forward the narrative of love jihad mm-hmm. because now it would be us using the term and not mm-hmm. the law because even the person who drafted the law um, uh, mittal ajay mittal i think kumar also reported on it mm-hmm. he himself has said that uh, you know we don't have it in law and it's uh, the law is broad which is actually a very dangerous thing because every time that a law has been broad or vague it's only proved completely inefficient and dangerous so there's nothing good about this law and also everything that the law is suggesting to you know target or criminalize already has its place in law mm-hmm. you don't need this law yeah, uh, exactly. to uh, you know find some it's not a new crime this mm-hmm. these sort of crimes are already penalized in different laws which don't target a particular community mm-hmm. which is all that this law does so right. it's really smart and dangerous true uh nadi you you uh, since you just mentioned how they floated this idea you know this theory of love jihad conspiracy theory you could call it uh long enough and then uh, passed this ordinance right now before i mean when that was happening can we can we talk a little bit about the role of media uh and how uh, you know it has uh, a section of the media has propagated this love jihad theory like for example uh, i remember from last year ayush in september last year ayush had done this report on dainik jagran and how they had this um, you know they basically ran a fake story on love jihad and it had so- something around the lines of uh, having lost one daughter to love jihad second one now in danger and this was based uh, uh, in uh, south delhi in sangam vihar and about this man and his uh, uh family and he had two daughters and the older one uh she married a muslim man and you know uh, they said that she was trapped in love jihad and she was forcefully converted whereas it was completely consensual and then ek jagran ran with that story and we all know how you know widely read this newspaper is so if we can talk about you know how media has played, played a role i mean see i think there's two things to this one i feel like uh it's a government interested in headline management and we know the proximity it has to certain media houses and to certain newspapers or tv channels so to really separate media from the state is a bit difficult today and it's almost a chicken and egg story so to talk about the media itself would be to talk about the state and the proximity to the state and the media right but that said it's it's very interesting how it operates like when we were reporting in lakhimpur i remember meeting uh, and we were covering the rape stories there there was one particular case where the girl had been uh, allegedly involved with a muslim boy and he was now arrested and that one rape case despite the fact that the district itself saw three to four rape cases in 15 to 20 days mm. it was only mm. that one rape case which was being spoken about by uh, chief minister ajay bisht mm. he hadn't bothered mm. speaking about the other rape cases till then but he'd gone ahead called this love jihad all the uh, bjp politicians in that area who we met torab singh sonu who was also the mla in that area yeah. went ahead and called it love jihad and then we met 
the police officials. And at each point, we ask the SP, we ask the assistant superintendent, we ask the uh, SHO in that particular Neemgao um, village. And they all said that there is no evidence of love jihad. The girl and boy had probably been in a consensual relationship and maybe something went wrong with them, which is really irrelevant to us. But they'd gone ahead, the politicians had gone ahead and called it love jihad. So when we sat with the MLA, we asked him, that uh, how are you calling it love jihad? Because we literally just met the SP and he said there is no evidence for love jihad. Hmm. So then he, because initially he told us that, see, police are saying it's love jihad, which is why we're calling it love jihad. Then immediately when we clarified to him, the police are not, he said, but then uh, this is this is the truth, right? Like that, that's literally what he said. This yeah. is the truth yeah. and this is what it is. And he himself decided what the case was. He said this boy had acted like he was Hindu and lured her into marriage. And then when we went back to the police and said, now the BJP politician is saying this, he said, no, BJP is saying it based on media. So who's controlling whom really? That's what I meant, the proximity to the state, to the media is undeniable and you can't overlook it. So the role of media really is difficult to say because I don't know which media or what media really has uh, their own take on anything now. I mean, Essentially, we are also part of that loop, you know, as much as I know that we're trying our best to be independent, we are also being forced to respond to a media which is, which has, which is really close to the state. So in some way, we are also uh, propagating that narrative in, in a twisted way, with not with the same intentions as the media that uh, mm. is close to the state. What do you mean by that? Like we are forced to respond to these things, right? Like mm. we're forced mm. to take it seriously. Like that's the thing, like. It's something I read somewhere that the the advantage of satire or the advantage of comedy is that it doesn't have to take a lot of bullshit seriously. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, as reporters yeah, of digital yeah. news business, you have to take a lot of bullshit right. seriously. Right. And, and the other thing that's dangerous, I feel, in this law is that they're not just arresting one person. Like even in Muradabad case, the man's brother was arrested. In mm-hmm. other cases, family members are getting arrested. Yeah, so yeah. She, Today, only 14 family members have yeah, been arrested. It just uh, goes to show clear. that uh, they're trying to show it as some sort of conspiracy. So who's to say that tomorrow they will not charge like an NSA or a UAPA saying that it's a threat to national security? You know, they, they're slowly building this narrative that this whole thing is exposing some sort of major conspiracy theory. Like already in many rape cases in UP, they've uh, charged NSA, but in Hathras, they've not, which is very interesting because the fourth Thakur boys who boys are Thakur. Mm. Um, but who's to say that all of that could happen, right? Right, right. Now, Omar, uh, if I could uh, ask you the same question, what are your uh, thoughts on the role of media in propagating this love jihad theory? The phrase love jihad itself is communally loaded. I mean, mm. jihad is a very, is a word linked to Muslims and it has a lot of undertones that, you know, tip, uh, that kind of uh, stereotype them. Yeah. So the media propagates this and spreads this phrase again and again. So that does the work for them. I feel the media, you know, uses this word very freely. Yeah. And even uh, when there is no evidence of prima facie uh, criminality, hmm. even in, even according to the ordinance. Right. So I, uh, the media really does play a big role, uh, not just in terms of uh, helping the police identify individuals and couples, hmm. but also to send this message to the a larger audience to the people that uh, something like this exists and also define uh, their biases, uh, their prejudice and their uh, conservative practices into a very 
well formed formulated idea ko lafz yeah. you know sometimes mm. we have our biases but we can't really define it in a very clear cut uh, manner in exactly. two or three mm. words mm. so it gives that uh, uh, skeleton yeah, to their yeah, yeah. yeah the face also mm. yeah it's mm. like their to to their you know bones of uh, biases yeah. and right right um i mean since you've been uh, around i mean in up for so long and uh, you travel a lot what is the role that regional media plays you know when it comes to this see i think under the present regime it's pretty difficult to differentiate but mm. uh, since the uh, most of the speakers in this area are uh, hindi speaking mm. i'm talking about the not uh, not belt where most mm. of these problems also exist mm-hmm. the uh, love jihad the messaging is more lethal in hindi because mm. uh, at the kasba level at the tehsil level at, at the rural level where uh, such ideas are more uh, dangerous and yeah. more provocative mm. that's where the hindi newspapers go and they have large circulation much more than the english media or the online portals exactly so they so there are two parallel worlds uh, that we're living in mm. uh, one is the english media that that's more progressive than the vernacular media in this area right but right. the larger audience is feeding on the uh, hindi media and which is really there is no control there is no check there is no uh, objectivity in how they use phrases and how they write stories exactly so uh, the damage is pretty much like yeah. uh, it's uncontrollable that way yeah like this uh, danik jogren story from last year it is completely false i mean falsely reported um they i mean very conveniently um missed a uh, skipped portions where the girl actually said that you know it was consensual and she did want to get married to this guy and she did want to convert so yeah um can we talk a little bit about the law you know uh, and why i mean even though everybody knows it is targeting a specific community right but uh, how they've uh, Uh, sort of veiled that uh, with the use of very smart language if we can talk about that a little bit yeah uh, first of all uh, it just uh, uh, doesn't target one community that is one aspect of it mm. the other aspect is that it also uh, criminalizes mass conversion and mass here means more than two people mm-hmm. uh, more than one actually i think i think if a couple goes uh, that becomes mass in their definition right. so it kind of also prevents dalits and other marginalized communities from taking their uh, constitutional right of uh, you know converting to a religion of their choice okay. and it's a, uh, a very popular trend where uh, dalits do that every year in october december yeah, april yeah. you know depending on their culture hmm. so it also puts a uh, puts a hurdle for them that uh, what if you might land in jail and hmm. also threatens to punish outfits that organize these mass uh, ceremonies right right i was just i was just saying that uh, you know i mean of course uh, this uh, whole theory and uh, this law itself is rooted in bigotry and uh, islamophobia also but also there is a huge amount of patriarchy involved like you know as if women hindu Absolutely. women are not capable of making their own decisions and you know the men have to step in and say whether it's okay or not um nidhi if you if you would like to uh, add to that i mean and it's very basic and i think everybody including the media is responsible in how we treat women and and women's agency that way because um i think we were speaking about it yesterday in the edit meet about how in the muradabad case itself right mm-hmm. like the girl 
who uh, called her who was Pinky earlier has converted and she calls herself Muskan now. She's adopted that name, and we don't even respect something as basic as that. That she's chosen a name, she's willingly converted to a religion, and we still want to call her Pinky, even in media reports, even by reporters who are uh, uh, like I was reading a print report which where they did criticize the law, but still continued to call her Pinky, which is a huge denial of her agency. So I don't even want to go into how bad the law, uh, how the law suggests that women somehow can't make a decision for themselves. And of course, mm-hmm. if you converted, it means they brainwashed and influenced. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also the general working of society in many ways, that if, you, if you're choosing something, then you're choosing because you're influenced by external factors and not because you want to do it. But then, I, I mean, like, I think even as reporters, it's important to be conscious of it because in something as simple as this, if you can't give her a name that she chose for herself, that itself is disrespect. Right, right. Uh, now, let's come to the case that has gained the most amount of traction recently. Um, the one that you just mentioned uh, from Muradabad. Um, Omar, can you just tell our listeners briefly what happened? Yeah, so uh, this girl called Pinky, who is now called Muskan, she and her uh, alleged husband at the time, uh, Rashid, they land up at the Tehsil in Kant in Muradabad to register their marriage. Mm-hmm. When uh, people from the Bajrang Dal, they appear on site and they, uh, they heckle the girl and they uh, hand them over to the police saying that uh, she doesn't have the right to go and marry this guy because her uh, mother has complained that uh, he's trying to force her hmm. into marriage and convert her. So they end up in police uh, detention. The girl is sent to a shelter home. The guy and his brother, who was with him at the time, hmm. they are sent to jail. And they finally got bail uh, uh, just recently. And the girl yeah. was sent to the shelter home from where she was sent to a hospital after she was unwell. And uh, she's about three months pregnant. Hmm. And she alleges that uh, she uh, suffered a miscarriage due to negligence because they did not take her to the hospital on time. And uh, now they're both out, but without the baby, because they've also done a new check, which uh, kind of certifies her fears. Yeah. And uh, the guy will still continue to face the case, but uh, but he's out on bail for now. So so the sword is still hanging on him, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, I think what's important to note is that in this case, the girl has you know stood by him, yeah. and also before a magistrate, she has uh, asserted that she's an adult. She married him by her own will, and mm-hmm. uh, she was well aware that he's a Muslim. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas her mother, who uh, she had alleged in the police complaint that uh, that her daughter did not know that he's a Muslim, mm-hmm. so so the mother's statement will be recorded now. And after that, the police will most likely file uh, file a final report. And I think this uh, guy will uh, be acquitted of you know, whatever charges he's been right. slapped. Right. Yeah. Um, now, Nidhi uh, also uh, has done a detailed report. Nidhi and Anna, both of them, they went to Muradabad and they've filed this ground report. It's up on our website. It's called Muradabad Lab Jihad, What Killed Muskan's Child? Uh, so basically, this couple, they were working in Dehradun and uh, they met there, they got married there. And when the pandemic happened, uh, they got back home to UP. And uh, uh, then they that's that's when they were going to get their marriage registered. Uh, and that's um, and then we heard what happened. So now, um, Nidhi, you met the you met her, right? You met Muskan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
can you tell us a little bit about your interaction with her i mean on at first glance she was she was very tired this was a day before uh, uh, rashid had been uh, released on bail and mm-hmm. she was feeling very hopeless by then she was also uh, she's still going through her miscarriage mm-hmm. and uh, she had done a check at the at a bijnor hospital after a reporter actually uh, who visited them suggested that they get a private check done and uh, the report confirmed like omar said confirmed there was fears that she did after all suffer a miscarriage it doesn't it's interesting because the uh, slip at bijnor from the bijnor hospital doesn't have a signature of the gynec or the uh, uh, person who conducted the ultrasound mm-hmm. maybe they didn't want their name to come in the limelight mm-hmm. mm-hmm. but uh, that report confirms she's had a miscarriage but um, nidhi if i'm not wrong muradabad officials they they still are denying that she suffered a miscarriage right no they denying the fact that till 14th of this month she hmm. had not suffered a miscarriage so basically Because till the time she was under their care yeah, yeah. so the ups uh, upcpcr which is the U- uh, uttar pradesh child protection committee hmm. if i'm right uh had said that she had not suffered a miscarriage they taken somato cognizance of the case and he'd visited um, uh, her in the hospital but the thing is when we spoke to the hospital authorities they said that yes they conducted two ultrasounds mm-hmm. yes they detected a fetus but they could not trace the heartbeat of the child so the doctor we spoke to said that she couldn't ascertain if the child was dead or alive uh and they had actually referred her to a hospital in meerat which they couldn't go to by then and they didn't go to i don't like we don't know why but she was released and she reunited with her family by which time she said muskan says that her bleeding started in the hospital and when she went to the toilet she actually uh saw a, a chunk of flesh coming out and this is common to a lot of women who have suffered miscarriages yeah. that you do realize sometimes yeah. when a miscarriage happens like mm-hmm. as as someone carrying it in your body you can detect that oh this is the moment when it happened unless your feet is too small of course and she had that moment and she says that she had that moment in the hospital so mm-hmm. it's complete hypocrisy that uh, uh, the uh, up child protection committee chairman can go ahead and say that there has been no miscarriage it's misleading he can say that a defetus was detected but we couldn't ascertain the life mm-hmm. or death situation again it becomes like evasive because when we asked the hospital uh, for the documents or the mm-hmm. ultrasound report because she has not been handed ultrasound report or any of the her medical documents which mm-hmm. ideally a mother or a patient has complete right to mm-hmm. uh, the do- the doctor said that um, nirmala patak she said that we, since it was a medico legal case we handed over the documents to the police and the lady in charge of narini ketan which was the shelter but muskan mm-hmm. more describes it like a jail and it also seemed a bit intimidating and haunted if i can you did it. you did visit this place right yeah yeah and we were allowed inside on the pretext that we were women so it was mm. seemed a bit uh, there were there it, there was a lot of police officials inside so it also doesn't right. seem to be independently running mm-hmm. uh, a place but uh, the thing is so when the do- when we asked for the medical documents they said it's a medical legal case so we handed over and all the documents are now with the dm although we have the originals so then i said okay can i see the medical legal certificate mm-hmm. and then the doctor said oh but we didn't conduct a medical legal certificate or didn't make a medical mm-hmm. legal certificate because the police after all brought her just for treatment so we didn't uh, consider it officially as a medical legal wow okay <laughs> yeah so, Uh, yeah. so it's just a bit muddled and now 
and even in law it is a bit tricky this whole death of a fetus do you count it as an attempt to murder or a murder can you because in some form it's not a full human being so how and who do you hold accountable becomes a little tricky but of course law does have provisions for forced miscarriages or miscarriages or forced abortion but the question then comes is was she aborted at all or did she suffer a natural miscarriage there's a loophole to that as well because miscarriage can often happen because of a high stress situation now how do you account for that in law because if she has say had a natural miscarriage and i say natural in double quotes because there's nothing natural about this because of high stress then who do you hold accountable and who's who's going to hold, be held accountable for the loss of a life that like two people were really really looking forward to right 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 omar would you like to add anything to this yeah i think that's a good point um, yes. i think either way it's a forced abortion in my opinion negligence or due to the pressure and the stress of you know going to jail and having the prospect of seeing her husband in jail i think the whole trauma and the process of uh, being heckled by the bajrangdal people mm-hmm. and then going to the shelter home that must have been uh, something for her yeah know? so i think we uh, uh, the questions come up that uh, who's to blame we can't directly say who's to blame because you know, unless there's a legal uh, intervention by the uh, victim side um but we can surely prima facie say that they did not take care of the woman and uh, the police and the administration they sh- they should have been more careful you know dealing with her exactly like uh, i'm sure they came to know that she was pregnant later yeah she had told them i mean i think uh, nidhi in a report mentions that uh, she had yeah. told the police and also the bajrangdal people uh, that she was pregnant yeah uh, so they should have been more careful and i if her allegations are true that they did not take her to the hospital on day one of the pain and uh, if somehow the miscarriage could have been prevented i think it will linger a, uh, for a long time in her memory and uh, hopefully she'll recover from that i can only pray that yeah 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 um can we can we talk a little bit about bajrangdal and its role in this whole uh, uh, incident i mean from the very beginning when they actually went up to her and you know i uh, if uh, i remember they said something around the lines of you know um tum jaise logo ke liye ye law banana pada and all that uh, you know so uh, if we can talk a little bit more about uh, these people yeah uh, f- from the point of the bajrangdal they were just doing their work hmm. they were on on assignment they have to uh, intimidate people who try and go out of line Mm-hmm. and uh, they were issuing a warning to the woman that you're not allowed to do these things in the society especially under this government and and the bajrangdal actually does most of these things so that we uh, go there and report them and uh, give legitimacy to their uh, unruly work and their uh, you know illegal work exactly because uh, we land up there and we interview them and uh, they give their version of the story which right. we may not find appetizing but for a lot of people in in that society uh-huh. uh, it helps them to build a rapport uh, for their political futures and right. a lot of these uh, so called fringe elements they actually feed on the media 
so uh, i think there uh, there are many strategies working at once you know that is true that is true actually nidhi in her report actually profiled this i mean almost uh, she did a profile of this monu vishnoi she spoke to him and uh, he came across as this you know very dedicated bajrangdal member and uh, you know nidhi would you like to um, add a little bit to this conversation what do you think about what omar says uh, you know uh, in a way this is exactly what they're looking for you know it's kind of do you think we're legitimizing them by giving them a platform to express their views and why they are doing this it's a tricky question i don't have an answer to are we legitimizing them by giving a platform because i think at with every story or with every piece it's a constant negotiation whether you should give this person space or not and mm-hmm. who are you to do that or not mm-hmm. but you can't deny the role this man has played exactly yeah. has that too. to to yeah. understand him is also to understand society in some way Absolutely. and because we can call, like they are of course uh, termed as the fringe element but they're no longer really the fringe they are they are mainstream they have acceptance they function in complete impunity and now with legal impunity to an extent mm. as well because mm. it was very clear that this is not the first time they're doing this right they mm. they also said it that it's the first time in law but not in practice technically because mm. social acceptance like omar said of love jihad has already been found and yeah. of the term of the concept of the idea um, its validity it no longer is questioned because the concept is accepted Mm-hmm. and and that's the that's what the bajrangdal works with and that's what and they truly honestly believe it to an extent and it's and for me it's always interesting how they also deal with you as a reporter right so they i wasn't a good enough hindu like i wasn't mm-hmm. um, i wasn't married i wasn't um uh, using the right words like he corrected me when i said shukriya and he yeah. said i should say dhanyawad we don't mm-hmm. have words like shukriya in our vocabulary so it really goes to show how deep rooted their sense of conviction is and the extent to which they will go to make sure because they are convinced they are right and now they have a like we also ask them do you think this government is better and you know we try we ask them would you would you get support from the government but they don't obviously they don't explicitly say that uh, they they are in support or they they think this is better than congress because they are also now careful and they are not they are not uh, stupid they are also reading the news they're seeing what narrative is being built upon them and they will pick and choose who they want to speak to so it was he also gave me a lecture in the fact that you know we hindu journalists are not sticking together mm, yeah i remember yeah and you know uh, thinking about our dharm even more so they also know what you want to hear so of course he didn't say that yes yes uh, i think the bjp is great he just said that we have been doing our job now the government has realized we are right which is a very strong and powerful and dangerous statement because right. what they are doing is extremely violent hmm. so so basically i mean uh, i'm i'm actually really on the fence about this i can't i mean i completely understand what omar says but then i also understand what you are saying because it is it is especially uh, i mean in this story i would like to know why this guy you know what were his motivations uh, also so it is a bit uh, difficult uh you know to say whether we should be give you know talking to people like him and uh, you know letting readers and listeners know about who he is and uh, why he does what he does uh omar any comments on that uh, i agree with the larger point she's making on mm-hmm. how how we need to understand what they are doing and 
but we also need to uh, emphasize the point that he's not an individual and he's not working out of his own agency mm. he's a karyakarta of an organization that is linked to the government mm. and he's actually there for this for this exact purpose to intimidate people and to uh, coerce them into doing something which they don't want and uh, so we we also need to understand that uh, there's a framework in place the government then there is the legislature there there is the executive and uh, so these various fronts also work in uh, in tandem with the uh, ruling party right so we can't really you know separate the two and uh, try and give him an individual agency because he's he's only doing what any other karyakarta would do in delhi or noida or azamgarh or uh, madhya pradesh or any other mm-hmm. place in india uh, because that's their mandate that's their duty mm-hmm. uh, it's an assignment for them to find such couples and to monitor them and to uh, you know tap into the whole uh, conservative ideas that you know they are not supposed to be together and emphasize it for the people and and unfortunately the media especially the vernacular media uh, uh, and the vernacular television media they give legitimacy to such people hmm. uh, because what they are doing is illegal like right. thwarting someone's personal liberty is illegal but because of the way they are projected as activists and uh, that they are given a noble uh, identity they can actually get away with it because in this case there will be no action against these people like in effect they might have caused the miscarriage of the woman you know by actually stopping her from going to the court and then completing her process of marriage right so we also need to consider that element I completely agree with the fact that it is frameworks which mm. you know cause these things, and it's important to understand that mm. this person is just a cog in the wheel. Mm-hmm. But for the sake of accountability, I still find it important to uh, give a face to the person mm. and and give that uh, uh, voice to the person. Not give voice, actually. That's that's terribly uh, wrong phrase. But to have a face to tell the story because. Um, you can't like you can't put a framework in jail you can only hold a person accountable and then criticize the framework so i feel that it is important to speak to him it is important to give the framework a face mm. because that's the only way you actually also understand the extent the mm-hmm. human depth of these sort of frameworks can only be exposed by talking to a human being and giving that person a face to mm. tell his side because yeah. then it's the only way you understand Omar, anything? Any? Yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I think the most important uh, uh, character in the story is the police, not the Bajrangdal. Mm. The Bajrangdal uh, is an illegal body. I mean, in, uh, uh, its action was illegal. Mm. I mean, to prevent someone from doing a, a legal act of marriage. But uh, the police that they accepted the complaint and and they arrested the boy, even when the woman is claiming that uh, they are there by their own will. so uh, the main questions need to be asked from the police and their intervention needs to be questioned more than the bajrangdal because i think the bajrangdal is doing what it does usually yeah uh, but the police is expected to do much better and follow the constitution and follow the norms of law and act objectively but we can see that in these in these cases they are actually uh, implementing a political ideology by uh, by using the phrase love jihad even when it doesn't exist hmm. even the tweets they propagate the uh the case details uh, uh by calling it a love jihad case mm-hmm. you know and in this case also their intervention was not really warranted they right. could have taken the two uh, to the police station 
questioned them and verified that okay you guys are here uh, to get married if you have not completed the papers do this and come back later after a month mm. yeah 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 they could have done that but mm. to criminalize the very act of going there on a baseless complaint i think mm. that raises more questions of the police that's very true because even the mother said that uh, even at the station that the bajangal people were sort of dominating the entire situation and just telling the police what to do yeah and you even asked them actually right i mean uh, and they said that no police doesn't help us or something around those yeah, lines yeah they said the yeah. police don't help us we just did our duty by mm. doing it but i mean it, relationships i'm sure on ground work differently and they right. obviously seem to have an understanding of the police otherwise this wouldn't have happened at all and that network is huge because we asked the family who they think might have complained because of course the information passed in some form and they believe that mm, the lawyer who they had approached to help them with the paperwork for the marriage mm-hmm. uh, is the one who might have complained his name is deepak vishnoi Hmm. and he is the one they believe who is my who might have given the information to the bajrangal and then it gone taken up from there but we also visited that lawyer and he refused to comment and he just sort of i asked him if he knew muskan in any way and he said i knew her but like i can't speak about her i can't speak about her and then he left so hmm. there's an intricate network in how all of this works but of course it's definitely the police who also should be held accountable right now uh, i think uh, we we're running out of time now my last question for both of you um what do you think this law means for uh, uh, you know outfits like bajrangdal and hindu yuva wahini who were anyway even before this law was actually passed were uh, going and uh, you know sort of vigilantism that they were doing um what does this mean for uh, these people who are part of these outfits Uh, I'll go first. Yeah, sure. Uh, it basically gives them a weapon and legal sanction to uh, all the illegal activities they would do earlier. Mm. So uh, earlier they would do the same things. They would still intimidate couples and you know stop them. But now they have the power of uh, actually asserting law on them exactly. that what you're doing is not wrong. It's illegal. Mm. So I think that gives them more uh, empowerment. and also it takes away a lot of the rights of the you know couples who want to exercise their uh, freedom to go and marry anyone they want so i think yeah. it's very dangerous for couples and i i hope that you know that they are not uh, uh, dismayed by this uh, this law but uh, as things go i think uh, uh, we'll have to be pessimistic <laughs> we'll have to be pessimistic <laughs> yeah, right, to mildly, okay you know, to put it mildly okay <laughs> uh, what about you nidhi Yeah, I mean, I'd be repeating uh, what Omar has already said. I think mm. it's extremely dangerous. It gives them impunity. It just encourages them to do what they've been doing. Mm. I think we more have to ask about what it means to us and how we plan to sort of tackle it. Because there's no point merely outraging because that clearly doesn't amount to anything. But I think we have to start asking the right questions, maintain our sense of outrage and sanity uh, consistently, but also learn to ask the right questions. I mean, what does it mean to Bajrangal? It's just freedom and freedom for them now, I guess. Yeah. Not that they didn't have that before, <laughs> but they have legal impunity now. Hmm. Hmm. So, so uh, I mean, uh, you can answer your own question actually. I mean, what does it mean for uh, people, inter- people, couples who are from different religions? Um, and they want to be together what does it mean for them i mean i think it's it's an issue i think that cuts across class caste everything because 
it's in, it's amazing how much the government or how much uh, Modi Shah or these kind of people have started interfering in our living room conversations. They're in our bedrooms. They're in our dining halls. They're in our relationships, you know. And I'm sh- and like I know that I've interacted with uh, Muslim men, and probably a few years ago, I've never that's never been my first thought. Uh, the identity of the person has never been my first thought before falling in love or being in a relationship. But somehow today, whether you want it or not, whether you like it or not, it is a question. And it's it's just incredible how much of them, how much of this government has seeped into like our uh, daily life. In a way, you have to be scared that you have to be scared to love. I mean, how, how worse can it get? Right, that's true. <laughs> All right. Um, I think uh, I we actually have, have a. I would. Yeah. I have a question for Umar actually. Okay, yeah, sure. Please. And uh, Umar, if it's not too personal, and you can choose not to answer it, but uh, I'm very curious as to what it means to be a Muslim man to report on these issues. What does it do to you? Like when you have to meet people, the, do their reactions change? I mean, we know that you've been physically assaulted very badly during the CAA time, but. It, with regards to such cases, has it made you cautious as a man before you interact with women? Has it made you cautious as a reporter? Uh, what's that experience like? Uh, you mean the love jihad law? Yeah. Um, not really, because I carry the privilege of being from media. So that helps me. But I, if I would put myself in the position of a uh, reporter in a tehsil or a small uh, district in Uttar Pradesh, Hindi-speaking reporter, then I would be uh, worried because uh, then I would lose the... Uh, the safety, the protection gear that I have now. Hmm. So uh, we can say that, you know, the English-speaking uh, media, the uh, newspapers, the, uh, the portals, like you and us, uh, we have a certain level of protection, which hmm. the vernacular uh, media, the so-called local media don't enjoy that, you know. Uh, uh, we'll hear so many incidents of them getting uh, killed, shot dead, burnt alive. Hmm. Just, just recently, there was an incident uh, where a journalist was burnt alive. So uh, taking that into consideration, that is the background to the general uh, threats faced by journalists at the local level. The uh, communal angle adds to that, of course. It also gives the uh, vigilante groups more uh, teeth to attack you. Personally, though, I'm not too affected by it because ultimately what depends, uh, uh, it all depends on how you approach the story. And... Uh, your contacts and how reliable they are and how reliable you are to them. So I think that changes a lot of the things on the ground. Like Mm -hmm. if there's a trust between you and the source on the ground and the people you're interviewing, then it doesn't really count much. Because still I feel the media, uh, when you go as a media person in Uttar Pradesh, even uh, uh, in such a climate of communalism, there is still a certain degree of respect that they offer to you. It may not be the same as 10 years ago, but still there is there's a certain amount of objectivity uh, that they offer you in their talk. So, so far nothing's that, happened. That if you, so say if you meet someone from the Bajrang Dal, uh, yeah. would how they respond to you be different from how they respond, say, to a Hindu reporter? Would the sense, I'm not talking about like explicit yeah. violence, but would the sense of tone or conversation be different? Actually, it depends. If, if I meet someone who's... Uh, uh, a high-ranking official of the organization and uh, who's uh, literate, they would not be so aggressive, but they would, of course, uh, they would play on my background and they would try to ensure that I'm not asking anything with a slant and uh, they would perceive things uh, in their own way. But it won't be 
confrontational in the way that you know i would expect but but uh, uh, if i meet a lower level kalikarta and he is not that literate or aware of uh, my realities then it might get slightly aggressive but overall i feel uh, my experience so far is that they actually show a lot of respect to media people and because they feed on us they depend on us you know they want to be featured in a mainstream newspaper or a portal because that's how uh, they can you know cash in on their activities and uh, further their political interest maybe you know fight an election or uh, at the local level or uh, one day become mla or maybe even chief minister one day who knows <laughs> right all right nidhi any more questions no i'm done all right thank you um all right uh, i guess that brings us to the end of our conversation today uh, thank you so much for listening and if you liked what you heard please do rate our podcast on itunes or whatever platform you tune into and uh, we also have a bunch of other podcasts like hafta and awful and awesome better the rating more the reach and that means more subscribers and that means better content and uh, before we finish off before we wrap up uh, let us have some recommendations from both our guests uh, okay so i want to recommend uh, this book that i've just been reading i'm actually halfway through uh, this is a book actually mehraj uh, our editor recommended uh, it's called hiroshima by john hersey and i think um, it's beautifully written it's again a journalist uh, himself if i'm right he's uh, documented basically the Hiroshima incident the bombing as a human episode and sort of looks back uh, chooses these six characters and who survived the bombing and like the story starts a day before the bombing what they were doing and how their lives sort of turned upside down so it's not it actually doesn't focus so much on the feeling of the person but more about what their activities became after the bombing and what their mechanics and how they worked uh which is in the end you will start seeing that which is how they function they weren't able to think of their feelings it just became about what to do to just survive and very very beautifully documented and very beautifully written and yeah so i would definitely recommend it's a short book easy read so yeah that's my recommendation all right thank you nidhi okay uh first is uh, uh, i would recommend people to read the ordinance that's in place in uttar pradesh mm-hmm. and also read the petitions that have been filed against it to really understand how their lives are going to be affected sooner or later it will reach the uh, upper layers of society also i'm sure and also there's an article recently written on uh, on this topic by a lawyer called mihir desai from bombay uh, he, uh, he's a renowned lawyer so he's explained the entire law and in different states and uh, and how we can question the law so i think that's the need of the hour and that's what i'm going to be reading i haven't completed it yet so i would ask <laughs> okay. i would recommend that to people All right, thank you, Omar. And uh, my recommendation this week is our NL Sena series on uh, the floods in Assam and the cyclones that struck the Sundarbans. We have a bunch of reports under the series. Um, you should really check it out. There's some beautiful photographs uh, that Supriti has uh, in her reports. Um, yeah, that's my recommendation this week. and that brings us to the end the end and um, listeners are very eager to hear your feedback so please do write to us at contact@newslaundry.com with reporters without orders in the subject line uh, we want to make this uh, podcast a better listening experience for all of you so please give us your suggestions and also uh, you could uh, leave your comments on twitter or instagram or our facebook page and with that this podcast is adjourned thank you and see you next week
All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.